We're going to continue in the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 1, and we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. Now Paul is telling the Philippians how thankful he is for them and how he prays for them. And you and I have a responsibility to pray for one another as in our local church. <clears throat> but not just each other in the church, but to pray for our community, to pray for lost souls, to pray for other churches, to, just to be men and women of prayer. I had somebody contact me yesterday about something they read in the paper, and they're like, you know, we need to push back on this. And I... I called him, I said, you're right, we do. I said, but you know, I think what we skip many times is stopping and praying and asking God for wisdom and realizing a lot of the things we're seeing in our society is because we as Christians are not praying and seeking God's face and humbling ourselves. Our lives are so busy, folks. Wednesday when we were heading up to Raleigh, the other pastors and I were talking about the need just to worship God. Be still and know that I am God. But we're going to look at Paul's example of how we are to pray for one another. And so if you turn with me again to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I understand that is a semicolon at the end of that sentence, so we're not even finishing a complete thought there. But if you look at the sentence, it continues all the way down to verse 7, because that's just how Paul writes. And sometimes there's so much that he has to say that trying to do a whole sentence at a time is going to be impossible. So we're going to do half of the sentence today, okay? But here's what I'd like us to examine. First of all, I want us to see Paul's remembrance of the Philippians. Paul's remembrance of the Philippians. Secondly, I want us to see Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And then our last point will be Paul's fellowship with the Philippians. You and I need to be thankful for other Christians that God has placed in our lives and to pray for them. So let's look for, to the Lord for guidance, please. Father, again, pray that you will guide, give wisdom, and your Holy Spirit will be able to have convict hearts this morning. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's remembrance of the Philippians. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Thanking God for others should be part of our prayers. The remembrance and mention of others should bring joy to our hearts. When we think of other Christians, do we have joy? Do we have memories of them that we thank God for? Or do we maybe focus on the one time that we disagreed? Or focus on the one time that we had a, uh, whatever, a, a dissension with them? Because, you know, we all are human beings, right? And there are going to be times when we disagree or whatever the case may be, but is that what we focus on or do we focus on remembering them and their service for Christ? Remembrance could also equal mention. So every mention of them, Paul's like, man, that church, the church at Philippi, that was a great church. Now, 
Let's go back and remember, when the church started, who did it start with? We saw this when we did the introduction. Who were the ones that were the first members of the church at Philippi? Lydia, the seller of purple, the jailer, and there was one more, the demonic girl. We look around our church, and we look at backgrounds of people, and, you know, I'm glad we don't judge on that, aren't you? But we'll only be thankful for others if we're walking in unity with others. Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? We need to be walking in unity. This is why it is so important as a church that we agree on doctrine. The unity which we need to have, because if we have half the church that believes one doctrine and half the church that believes and interprets the Bible differently, how are we ever going to work in unity? It's never going to happen. And it's sad to me how that churches want to lay aside the doctrine for the sake of unity. It's like, how can you have unity apart from the sound doctrine? It doesn't make sense. Oh, it sounds good on the surface. Oh, we just want everybody to get along. Well, that basically means you're going to teach nothing but fluff because if you start teaching doctrine, somebody in your church is going to get offended by it. This is why many churches don't preach against sin. This is why we see mainline denominations saying it's okay for women to be pastors. Now they've gone far beyond that. Now they're saying it's okay for homosexuals to be pastors. Now they're wondering, should the drag queen be a pastor? You know, that is an abomination to a holy God. Now, it's easy to be thankful for those who are doing a lot of work around the church, right? It's easy to say, you know what, I thank the Lord for those willing to come and clean the church, which all of us should take a part in doing. And if all of us did, we'd only have to do it probably once every two months. It's easy to say, thank you, thank the Lord for those playing the piano, for those leading the music, those sitting out there and ushering while we're in here worshiping. And this is where I sometimes struggle. Are we thankful for those that come and just warm a pew? Now, we all understand if we're going to be part of a local church, we should serve in that local church. However, there are some Christians who still haven't grown and don't realize for whatever reason, they're still not understanding that to be part of this body, you need to be functioning in the body. But there are some who come and are pew warmers. Are we thankful for them still? Because, honestly, are they not sometimes the easiest ones to not be thankful for? Why aren't they doing their part? Is that not the attitude we tend to start to get toward others? I know I can personally start to get that attitude. Paul was thankful for other Christians, even some he had never seen. Romans 1, 8, and 9 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, for God is my witness whom I serve my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Christ Jesus. Now, talking about the church at Rome, to the best of our knowledge, Paul had not been there, but he's thankful for him. The Corinthian church had grown since Paul had left there, but he's thankful for all of them. You see, if our heart is right with God, we're going to have an attitude of gratitude, thanking God for others. 
But we need to thank God and remember others and take time to thank God for what they have done. So Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. If every remembrance or mention of somebody brings thanksgiving, that is good. But if the mention or remembrance of somebody brings up bitter feelings or a different attitude, then we need to work on our heart. You know, bitterness does not destroy the person you're bitter toward. Bitterness destroys you. And I've shared with you one account of when I had bitterness toward an individual. And every time his name was mentioned, I would burn up inside until I finally confessed it to God, confessed it to him. He's in glory now. I mean, what would be the sense of being bitter now? But even for his last several years on earth, I was not bitter toward him anymore because God taught me to forgive. Don't hold grudges. Life is too short. I have, in my extended family, family who would hold grudges to the grave. And then they live with regret after the one that dies that they held the grudge against because they never got it right. Do you realize how foolish that really sounds? So Paul is not only remembering the Philippians and thankful in his remembrance for them, but verse 4, he is praying for them. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. When we think of others, do we stop and pray for them? Now, there's different elements in prayer. There's confession. When we say to God the same thing that he says about our sin, we confess our sins to him. Now, let me ask a question. As a Christian, when I confess my sins, how many of my sins have been forgiven? All. So when I confess my sins, I'm helping restore that relationship that's been broken because I've sinned. It's not, our, our relationship is not broken. The fellowship with God is broken, right? But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So part of my prayer is confession. Now, does God already know the sin in your life? Yes. But... In order for us to restore that fellowship and also for us to recognize our own sinfulness, we need to confess our sins to God. Do we, in our prayer, confess our sins to God? That should be part of our prayer. Not every prayer has to include that because a prayer can include all these or one of these. But another aspect of prayer is adoration. Praise God for who he is. Express our sense of God's glorious perfections. Now, this is an area which I think we lack. is just taking time in our prayer to just praise God and adore him for who he is. Is that not the root of adoration is to adore? How often do you spend in prayer just saying, God, you're amazing. The fact that you love me. You love me enough that you sent Jesus to die for me. Just You can focus on his love for hours or his care. Lord, you care about the smallest little things in my life. His provisions, how he provides for us. 
His holiness, his omniscience. When we realize how little we really know, you ever notice what is the saying? The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah, that's with every area of life. But you know, there's nothing God doesn't know. He knows all. But as we learn and we learn how much there is that we really don't know, we really start to feel small and insignificant. But all those things that we realize we don't know, God already knows, plus whatever else there is to know. That's amazing. Why don't we just sit there and think about that? You know why we should concentrate on this? It goes along with what we're talking about Wednesday night, because when I think about the fact that God knows all, not some, not part, all, that helps me learn. And I've asked myself this as I'm sitting there just contemplating the omniscience of God, have you ever started to get upset at yourself? Then why don't I trust him more? You ever start to think that? Well, that's good because you realize how little faith we have as we start to look at God and how great he is. It's like, why do I do such stupid things as not trust him? When I think of the fact that God is omnipresent, you know, we feel we got to try to be there to help everybody sometimes, right? Got to be there to help my kids. Got to be there to help my parents. Got to be there to help everybody. You got to be there for whatever. You know how many places I can be at one time? I know this is real deep theology. One. You know how many places God is at one time? Everywhere present. Everywhere present. So why don't I learn to let God care for others. Now, it doesn't mean I don't do my part as he leads me to, but I don't have to worry about what's going on in everybody else's life because God's already there. He's already taken care of it. You see, one of the guiltiest things we do as Christians, and we probably don't hear enough preaching about it, is worry. We worry about everything. We are not to worry, but to trust. And we don't trust because we're not adoring our God and who he is. Let's spend more time in adoration of God. The next one, Thanksgiving. Thank God for all he has done and all he has given us, including others. Expression of attitude for God's mercies and blessings. You know, when Hurricane Florence hit and we had, I won't say nothing else to do because we spent all our days trying to get food delivered to people but especially those first days when you couldn't get out of the house and whatnot. And then in the evenings when there's not a whole lot else to do because you're trying to sit as close as you can to the air conditioner. The, the one air conditioner, you got the generator running, right? Because <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> I started writing a book of the history of this church, giving thanks to God for what he has done. I didn't get very far in it. And I would like to someday finish it as a testimony of the blessings of God. Had somebody come to visit the church this week when my wife and I were here, and I just had to give testimony. You do realize, and I know these are things, but it's how God has provided for the things this church needed. Now, more importantly, is the many, many souls that have come through this church. By the way, if we didn't have families transferring all the time like the Averys and like the Booths, and, and I could go all the way back to 
name names that you, nobody here would even know. Steve and Sarah McGetrick, Nate and Laura um, Dixon. And I could go back and nobody here is like, who are, well, you might know some of them. I forgot you were over here. I'm sorry. Nobody in this room but Shannon, Susan, and Stephanie would remember them. Okay? If we were to have all them here, we would be having to build a bigger building. That's no lie. Because we constantly have them go through. I was talking to Jim Ogle this week, and I told him we lost two families. He goes, well, that's like your normal life, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I'm thankful for all those souls. But during all this time... I'll just name a few. These pews you're sitting on were given to us. That sound booth was built by another church. The library was built by another church. All the painting and the, on the inside of the building was done by another church. The outside of the building being painted was done by another church. Gave us thousands of dollars worth of stuff and came and did the labor to help us get it done. And then the $84,000 debt that this church had got paid off in five years. And all but two air conditioning units on between the two buildings have been replaced. The roof's been replaced. And I could just keep going on and on of how God has continued to provide for this church. So I've learned not to worry about the things because God has a plan to take care of them. But I don't ever want to stop thanking him for what he has done. Because when you read Romans chapter 1 and you see when they knew God, they worshiped him not as God, neither were thankful. I'll tell you what, some of the angriest people I have met are those wrapped up in the sins that Romans chapter 1 says God turns them over to. Some of the angriest people you'll ever meet are the ones who are wrapped up in the homosexuality and the transgenderism and all these things. They're angry. Christian, you and I need to show them God's love and teach them how to be thankful. Now, they will never learn to be thankful until they trust Christ, but I believe as long as God gives them breath, there's still a chance. Then here's the two that Paul is referring to this group. As he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. The two things that I believe Paul is doing, first is supplication, bringing requests to God. Now, Supplication is not always our request, but it could be the request of others, right? Here's where we typically think of as praying is the supplication, because I have a whole grocery list of things I want, and so I'm going to take it to God, and we treat God way too often as a genie in the bottle. I go to God, I ask for it, now he should do it. Why do we treat God that way? Charlie, when I go to God and bring my supplications to him, am I giving him any new information? Then why should I be taking it to him? He knows anyhow. He likes for us to ask. It shows our dependence on him. It shows that I can't do it. I'm trusting him for it. And also, I need to be assuring that I'm asking according to his will. And in asking for others... We've all used this type of phrase before, right? That when you find out somebody else is struggling with something similar to you struggle with, in some strange way that gives you comfort, doesn't it? Well, when you pray for somebody else going through the same situation you're going through or a situation worse than yours, it helps you also be thankful to God for how he's blessed you, right? 
Not that we're comparing ourselves, okay? You know, it's interesting. I have never heard the doctor say to me, you have cancer. Charlie has. So I, I prayed for Charlie many times as he's going through his treatment, which will continue for the rest of his life, by the way. But when I told Charlie my dad and my brother were diagnosed with cancer, I could see in his eyes an empathy that I can't even give. You follow what I'm saying? Because he's walked in their shoes. And let me tell you something. And I remember telling him this a long time ago when he first was diagnosed. I said, God is going to use this in your life to be able to help others. Now, why all of you said sorry to hear it, and I know you all meant it, I don't, don't take this the wrong way. When he said it, it had a different meaning than it had for the rest of you. That makes sense? And then intercession. While we can also, our supplications can be bringing requests for others, we can also, it's also part of interceding for others. Intercession, okay, one of the first categories on our prayer list we hand out on Wednesdays is salvation. We're trying to intercede for others. Now, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that every one of them be saved. But we're bringing it to the throne of grace, saying, God, we want to have the same concern for these souls that you do. And we're asking you. You know, I've asked the Lord, make them uncomfortable. Bring such conviction in their life. I would rather them be uncomfortable the rest of their time on earth and receive Christ and have joy for all eternity than to be comfortable on earth and be in hell for all eternity. Wouldn't you? I think it's a proper request. But interceding for others, praying on their behalf. You know, we're commanded in James to, when we are sick, to call the elders and have them pray on our behalf. How many times when you've been sick and real sick, do you really don't even, you're not even really sometimes able to pray yourself, especially if you're on medication or whatever, you know, you just feel like you're on a constant trip or whatever. Isn't it nice that others can intercede on your behalf? Or somebody going into surgery, many times we pray for them while they're in surgery. Why? Because, well, they're, they're under. They can't be praying for themselves at that time, but we can be praying for them, can't we? Interceding for others. Caring enough for others to go to God on their behalf. Now, Paul had started numerous churches. This isn't the only church that Paul was involved in the beginnings of. Yet he remembers these names of these folks at Philippi and says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Many carry around a prayer list. Because if you, like I, try to pray for others, you're going to forget somebody unless you wrote it down. Right? Now, did Paul carry a list? I don't know. Maybe Paul had a better memory than some of us. But our prayers for others should be often. Always is emphasized in the sentence. Always. So just as we see it as emphasized here in, in the English, so it is in the Greek. Always, in every prayer mind, for you all making request with joy. Without ceasing, as we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. When God brings an individual to mind, pray for him. 
How many times have you had a situation in life where you were really struggling with something, and then a couple days later, somebody comes to you and says, you know, I was praying for you the other day, and you find out, well, you were struggling with something, then all of a sudden, just a great peace comes over your heart. And then you find out that somebody was praying for you at that exact time. When God wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's somebody on your mind, it's probably time to get out of bed and to pray for him. We don't need to know the reason why, and we may not find out this side of glory, but I will say this, there's power in prayer, and I know many, 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 many testimonies of God providing protection, God providing peace, God providing comfort, God doing amazing things in others' lives because somebody else was taking the time to pray for him. We kind of treat prayer flippantly. Okay, I know I can pray for you, but is there anything else I can do? As if that's such a little thing. And I get it because I've even asked the same question. Then I realize that is a dumb question in some ways. Because is there anything else I can do because that's so little? No, it's the greatest thing you can do for somebody. When you promise to pray for somebody, do it. I am applying more so than I used to. When I say I'm going to pray for somebody, I'll say, well, why don't we just pray about that right now? Because then I've at least kept my promise and prayed at least right then. Again, we should love all the saints. All again, he says, pray for you all, making requests with joy. He wanted to know that he loved them all and prayed for them all. He says, praying with joy, making requests with joy. Is praying a joyful time for you? Time when you get to talk one-on-one with your Creator. Is that a joyful time for you? It ought to be. It ought not to be a drudge. It ought not to be a a check in the box for the day. It ought to be a time that we look forward to. And again, it's not just one time a day. All throughout the day. Well, in the time we have left, let's look quickly at Paul's fellowship with the Philippians. Verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The fellowship, they had a close mutual relationship, sharing in or a partnership. You see, they had sent a gift to him. They were showing their care for Paul. They were being continuing on faithful to God. They're trying to take care of God's servant. And Paul wants them to know, that that was a, a great expression of love to him. And it shows the fellowship that even though they were not physically together, the fellowship that they had in the Lord. We should thank God for those who labor with us. You know, I am glad for every lady who works in the nursery. I love children, but I'm glad you're all there in the nursery. I'm glad for the men that stand out there and watch the cameras and invite people coming in and, and take care of all the ushering responsibilities. I'm thankful for Ed leading the music and all God's people said. Amen. I'm thankful for the ones that sit up there in the sound booth and keep the right microphones on and keep the right things on the screen. And, you know, it does make our services go much smoother, doesn't it? until 
the demons come out in the electronics, which seems to be way too often. <laughs> we should be thankful to God for those who participate in the ministry. Now, not just the ministers, although I'm thankful for many pastors who've had influence in my life and many who are faithfully serving God. I'm thankful for evangelists. I'm thankful for our missionaries. But you know, we should be thankful for everyone doing their part in the work of the Lord. We should thank God for those that we've had the privilege of leading to Christ as we're serving Him. You know, I can imagine the Apostle Paul sitting there in prison thinking, wow, remember that girl when she was following us and these are the servants of the Most High God, but it was the demon speaking through her? And remember that day when the demons were cast out and she received Christ and she joined the church and she started growing faithfully and she started learning the, the doctrines of Christ and how she is faithful still today in that church. Now, I don't know if she still was there, but I'm just, can I imagine this for a moment? Remember the night the jailer almost killed himself? But he got saved that night and baptized and his whole family with him and they're still in that church and they're, they're leading others to Christ and Wow. You see, here's the problem. Too often, I think we look at people where they are and not where they potentially can be. Say, what do you mean? You know, we have a young person come and visit the church for the first time. Okay, I'll use the example of Ronnie, who's been visiting here on Wednesdays. Very squared away young man, right? But not every visitor we've had has been that squared away young man. Maybe they come in and they have, you know, you can tell that they've been smoking and drinking and they got you know whatever they're not unkept whatever and we look at do we look at the two differently or do we realize there's just a greater potential and the second one is there is the first he just needs christ because if that young man and i'll assume coming in that way unsaved receives christ and christ changes them and they start to grow could he not turn out just as good as, I mean, you know, maybe that's the next one that God's going to use to bring a great revival to our nation. How do we know? But we tend to look at people where they are and not where they potentially can be. It's something we all have to look at. You know, I look before me great potential because none of us are where we can be or should be, right? And we're all growing. And so... I look at some of you and the things that God is already using you for, it's like, wow, where can this lead if we continue to grow and continue to follow Christ? But let's look at one more thing here in verse 5. For our, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, our fellowship is in the gospel. May the old, old story of Jesus and his love never grow old to us. We can have fellowship with believers because of the common bond we have in Christ. Isn't it amazing when, since you've been saved, when you meet another Christian, how just that quick you have an instantaneous bond with them? I've met others who may not necessarily be of the same stripe we are, but they truly have a love for Christ and are still that bond. Why? Because they have the same Savior I do. They're heading the same direction I am. 
So we need to remain steadfast in the gospel in service for Jesus Christ. It says, again, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What a compliment the Apostle Paul is paying them. You have remained steadfast. Keep going. That's a good testimony, isn't it? There's many things in life I can't change, but I can choose to be a man of integrity. I can choose to be steadfast. I've had, over the years here, some people get upset at me because I do not consider myself a jackrabbit in the ministry. I consider myself an ox. Not because I'm fat, although that goes along better with it, but because an ox is very slow in plotting at what they do. It not, may not be fast, and I try to be slow and methodical on purpose. Because I have found way too often in my life, hasty decisions make bad decisions. Now, there are times when God says it's time to move and it's time to move now. And I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. But many things, if it's right to do it today, it's still going to be right tomorrow. And if nothing has changed, you know, do you follow what I'm saying? Take time on decision making. Take time to think things through. When I first was elected to the Board of Commissioners, they expected everything to be done relatively quickly. They have learned, because I, I know what it means to table things, to give us more time to think about them. Because the mayor has learned, and he's, he, 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 his job is to make sure every commissioner gets what they need. He has learned one of the things I need is time to think through decisions. I'm not very quick to make a very quick decision. I'll table the thing before I'll make a quick decision on it. And so you know what we do now? We give more time to think about things. But I think that has helped the board overall because there's times then even other commissioners then will be like, you know, we've had a couple weeks to think about this and I was wondering, da-da-da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden something that nobody would have thought of if we decided on it right away comes out, then glad we had the answer to it before we devoted on it. What I probably need if God ever helps us get to a point where we, I get an assistant is I need a jackrabbit to help balance me out. Because then we'll balance each other out. I'm being serious. Because you understand a good leader, a good leader is going to surround themselves with people they know are strong in areas that their own weaknesses. That's what makes a good team. And let me close with saying that. Paul could look at these other believers in Philippi, some of which probably had strengths that Paul was weak in in his own life, but he could be thankful for them because he realized that's how God builds a team. You see, too often leaders want to surround themselves with people just like them. But that doesn't help build a team. Because then everybody has the same way of thinking and wants to do it the exact same way. We end up calling them yes-men. Not that you're trying to get people around you who are going to challenge everything you do, but you want them to have a different way of thinking about it. And then if there still is unanimity in it, then you realize this probably is a real good decision. So let's be thankful for other strengths instead of sometimes we want to get jealous of it. Every time I see somebody play the piano, I'm like, man, I'd love to be able to play the piano like that. You know why I don't? I've never disciplined myself to sit down and play the piano like that. And Susan tried giving me lessons, and I figured after a while our marriage was more important than piano lessons. 
I say that because of me, honey, not you. You're a great teacher. I'm just a horrible student. <laughs> Actually, this weird thing she wanted me to do, put your fingers on the keys like this. It's like these fat, these fat sausages do not twist that way. So I learned to be thankful for the strength that God gave her. But let's learn to be thankful for others. Thank God for other believers. We definitely couldn't do it all ourselves, could we? So let's pray for other believers, and let's realize this body of believers is God who's assembled it. Let's be thankful for one another.